How's everyone doing this morning? <clears throat> Isn't it good to be alive? You know, sometimes you have weeks where you just, you got to sit, you got to sit on that baseline. You know what? It's good to be alive. <laughs> oh yes, God is good. Who was here last week? Yep, a lot of us. <clears throat> uh, I was going to say, Nate, Andy did an amazing job. Uh, sort of the, the whole series was culminating into last week. We can, I don't know if it's up or around, but he's been talking about the upward call. And so last week, if you were here, uh, the title of his sermon was Single-Minded for Christ's Upward Call. And there were six things that he hit on that we were sort of our takeaways. And if you were in a connect group, you discussed them this week, uh, which was, one, forget the past. Two, stretch yourselves. Three, set future targets. Four, find the, find the goal. Five, know the upwards call. And six, know the authority of who commissioned you. And those are all amazing things. And today, what we're talking about is sort of, as the letter starts to wind down, there's this sort of closing section of Scripture where Paul is just kind of putting his final thoughts together for us. And, and so it's not so much about the outward journey as it is about the inward journey. And so if you would, turn with me to Philippians 4, verses 4. This, for me, is one of those small-key, big-door passages where we've heard it a million times, but I really believe that God wants to unlock something in us for what lies ahead. So we start in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Fridge magnet? <laughs> right? We're going to go line upon line because I think this is one of those things where we've probably seen this on every Christian website, on a lot of very Christian fridges. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice, right? But oftentimes we're stuck with the inner turmoil, the lack of reality. I don't feel like rejoicing. Life sucks. <laughs> And I was reminded, even just this morning actually, and I, and I mentioned it in prayer, the book of Zephaniah, it says that God quiets us with his love, and it says that he rejoices over us with singing. Man, we are amazing at rejoicing in our heads, aren't we? I think the church in Canada, the church in North America, we're so good at rejoicing God inside. But you know, the Bible says that Jesus or the Lord rejoices over his people with singing. Genesis 1 tells us this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
But it also tells us that he didn't just create it by thinking it in his mind. The Bible tells us that he spoke it into existence. And there is something powerful that happens in us when we decide to rejoice in the Lord with our entire being. Some of us are stuck in dusty, dirty places. We can't seem to escape the mire and the clay and all these things. Why? Because we're so clogged up up in here. And it feels fraudulent to declare and rejoice to our king. Because it's not true of what I'm feeling in here. But can I suggest, God has not called you to merely act on your feelings. You're a believer, right? I'm a believer, which means that I am, I am called to declare what I believe and not necessarily what I feel. Rejoicing has little to do with me talking about my circumstance and more talking about his goodness. You know, if I ever need context for it, we're reading what a lot of scholars call the epistle of joy. Philippians is the epistle of joy. And Paul uses this word joy over 20 times in this book. He also uses the, the term that he is rejoicing in several things. He's rejoicing in the faith of the believers. He's, you know, he's got three or four references in this book of him rejoicing. And we know where he wrote this book. Right? In the bottom of a disgusting prison. And sometimes we are in a disgusting prison... And we have to figure out how we're going to dig deep and rejoice in God. And it's not easy. But I'll tell you this, is every time we don't do things God's way, we don't get to walk in his freedom. And I believe what Paul is saying to us in these closing thoughts of Philippians is he is inviting us to participate in something that Christ has called us into because it is going to work out for our good. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. But I'm suffering. Yeah. But my kids acted up this week. Uh, yeah. Imagine if we only give God rejoicing when things are good. That's not rejoicing, that's just responding, that's reacting. The Bible tells us that we are to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Rejoicing falls in this category. We take every thought captive. Anyone here ever had just a dark week? Come on. Like it's, we could all lie, but like, you know, on a Sunday when everyone's had a dark week, <laughs> worship sounds like a presentation. <laughs> We're all just like, oh. Come on, we can be honest here. It's okay. But you know, rejoicing is about shifting our posture. It's about choosing to do something that he's called us to do and not just living according to my circumstance. If you were here last week, Andy said something. He said two things. One, he hated sports because his dad always told him, you're on your heels, not on your toes. But the point being is he talked about when he was on his heels in soccer, his dad would yell from the, sand from the, um, the sideline, Andy, get on your toes. They can tell you don't want the ball. They can tell you don't want to. Why? Because you're not on your toes. 
And sometimes the enemy gets in our minds and he messes with us. And what does it do? It gets us reeling. And when you're reeling, you're not on your toes. You're on your heels. But rejoicing puts us on our toes. Rejoicing says, God, this is what you have done. This is who you are. Instead of the fear of disaster, it turns into the expectation of miracles. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Simple words. But this Greek word for reasonableness, other translations say the word moderation, but this, uh, this word kind of lends itself to like patience, gentleness, moderation, all good things. In other words, there's a general tone about my life of reasonableness. Why? Because I know the Lord is at hand. I am a passionate fly fisherman. Secrets out. When I know that I have a day coming of fly fishing or a morning coming of fly fishing and I know that's my time to disappear, hit a river, just get lost for a while, there is an unexplainable joy that rises up within me. Almost disturbing. <laughs> because I love fishing. You know, and maybe it's the day before and oh my gosh, someone just threw up on the carpet. You know what? It's okay. I got this. Oh gosh, another poopy diaper. Projectile. I got this. That's okay. You know, I'm planning to wake up at four in the morning. I am going fishing. Gray wakes up at one, three, three thirty. I do not care. I got this. What's happening? <laughs> we know what's happening. I am being shockingly reasonable. <laughs> Why? Because I'm not allowing what's right in front of me to deter me from the excitement I carry for what's beyond. The Bible tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, speaking about Jesus Christ. What's happening there? Was it that life was good for Jesus? We know it wasn't. But actually, there was a joy set beyond the cross that he focused on. And his rejoicing and his worship and his service and his life was serving the greater joy beyond the circumstance. And it gave him the strength to endure the circumstance. The Bible tells us that rejoicing, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Or you ever go to a restaurant, a nice restaurant, and it's subpar, the service sucks, you get a bad server, you get a bad host, you get, right? That's more like what's going on here. Let our reasonableness be evident to everyone. You ever just go in this environment and you're like, man, what the heck? That service experience sucked. You know, how do I respond? How do I respond in that moment? It's easy for us to come to church and we all smile and pretend we don't, we're not offended and we can do all these things. And then we go in the world and we can be like vicious vipers sometimes. 
I'm entitled. I paid for this service. I deserve this service. I am not tipping that person uh, because they didn't do a good job. You know what? I'm not going there. You know what? This is horrible. I'm putting perspective on this because this is the life that we often live in. You know, I've seen two types of tippers in the world. One will tip as usual, pay as usual, and then maybe log a complaint after that just so that the restaurant knows that they're not digging in the pockets or, you know. And the other one is, before I pay this bill, I want to just make sure I've made my point here. Can we relate? I know this is an awkward thing I'm <laughs> But the point being is, in the world, there's lots of opportunities for us to be unreasonable. What about in our marriages? When we start to dig our heels in, when we're in a fight or, or with our kids, when they start not cooperating the way we hope, do we dig our heels in? Do we become unreasonable? But what's Paul saying? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone inside and outside the church. And what keeps it all in perspective is the fact that the Lord is at hand. You know, we had a, a cool moment this week in our Connect group uh, where this exact thing was in play, and I didn't even ask uh, um, Megan there if I could share this. It was just something simple. But, but someone in our Connect group was needing encouragement because they were in a serious life circumstance. And her advice was this, this simple thing. Let's always remember the end of the story. We've heard this before. Let's always remember the end of the story. But I actually felt, for some of us this morning, I wanted to encourage you that you, it's like you're going around the same mountain and you're praying through it. You're trying to get all these things going, but actually God is inviting you into community. If that makes sense. Sometimes we're going around the same mountain and, and, and what's involved is that sometimes in life we want to hear from God so bad and we go to God direct and it just doesn't work. But what happens is God uses someone to speak to us. And when we live our lives outside of the context of community, we will find that that is the approach that God takes, is that he speaks through someone. Why? Because he's interested in connecting us into community. And some of us rely so much on community that we don't feed from the Father firsthand. And what happens in that situation is God draws us into the secret place. Because we need both things. We need to feed firsthand from the Father, and we need to be in relationship with one another. And I want to encourage you, if you are not in a connect group, this is not a heavy hand, get in one. I want to encourage you that if you're stuck, connect group, being in relationship with other believers is a powerful way that we can share our lives and allow ourselves to be honest with others, receive prayer, humility, all these things get worked out in the context of community. Amen? Little segue. So are there times to not be reasonable? I was thinking like, reasonable is nice. <laughs> but I was thinking too, that this same guy, Paul, the apostle who wrote this letter, said this, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He gave them a little bewitch slap, if you will. <laughs> we can laugh, it's okay. Good Lord. What's the point? 
He came in real hot and heavy, didn't he? Who has bewitched you? Having begun in grace, are you now trying to attain your salvation by obeying the law? In other words, Paul had so many moments of being reasonable with everyone. He went into places. He wouldn't take money. He was a tent maker. Why? Because he, was, he said, I've become all things to all men. He took Timothy when they were going to, to minister the gospel to people who didn't believe. And he actually, what did he do with Timothy? He nipped the tip. He got him circumcised. Why? He didn't have to. They were in a new gospel. They were in the real gospel. They were in a place where they knew that circumcision nor uncircumcision was of any value. And yet he did it. Why? To become all things to all men. He was demonstrating a profound explanation of reasonable to us. But when it came to defending the gospel, he was relentless. What about Jesus? Jesus was always reasonable, except with religious people. Listen to this. Matthew 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches, uh, and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Come on, Jesus. Couldn't you just preach a nice sermon? Couldn't you stand in the temple and just tell the money changers that they shouldn't be there? It's a bit unreasonable, Jesus. But anytime they dealt, Jesus, Paul, Peter, you name it, anytime they dealt in the unreasonable, it was with religion. Anytime something was infringing on the gospel, they went dogmatic, intense, unwavering. The Bible tells us that Paul had a face-off with Peter in Galatia, the same church that he wrote, who has bewitched you to, because Peter basically compromised the gospel by going to sit with the people of his kind, his nationality, because he, scared, he was scared that their religion would infringe on their freedom and, and all these things. And so he, Peter gave in and he went and sat with the religious people because that's where he was from. And Paul didn't even hesitate. He wasn't gracious. He didn't take him aside. No, he did it in public. Why? Because Peter in public opposed the gospel. So Paul in public repositioned him to stand for the gospel. Unrelenting. So what is it that you and I as Christians hold hard lines on? Because I understand in Christianity we can often hold hard lines on all sorts of things. But there are fundamentals to the faith. If a squad of machete-carrying Machine gun killing Christian type people came into town and they were looking for churches to kill people because they didn't agree with our faith. We would be forced, not just our community, but every community in Nanaimo that centers on Jesus Christ, we would be forced to band together and figure out what are the main things. What are the fundamentals? What are the things that are non-negotiable? So if you stand with me, we're going to read them together. Would you stand with me? 
What I'm putting up on the screen here is the Apostles' Creed. These are some of the fundamentals, the predominant fundamentals of our Christian faith. Can you read that or is that too small? I feel like it's going to be loud in the front and quiet at the back. <laughs> so we're going to read this together and I want to encourage you, declare it at the top of your voice because I think it's important for us to hear the people around us saying the same words. These are the fundamentals of our faith. Are you ready? And you're going to see one word in there. I'll clarify. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy, uh, the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic there uh, should not be capitalized. I'm sorry that it is. The word Catholic, because you're probably thinking we're not part of the Catholic Church. As we know it today, that is true. Catholic means simply throughout the whole. Throughout the whole. So all it's saying is the church of yesterday, today, and forever. The church, the whole. Okay? So why don't we declare it together? One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. That's what we believe. You can grab a seat. Those are the things that are non-negotiable. Those are the things when people oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the things where believers become unreasonable. More importantly, unwavering. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Oh my gosh, I feel like this is something that I fall short in. When I'm going through trouble and hardship in life, I am quickly running to God, say, God, give me your peace. I need your peace. How, how many of us do that? Oh God, I have all these problems. Da, 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 da. Deliver me. Not wrong. All right things. But I think Paul is giving us a process here. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. Thankfulness is where we start. Thankfulness. I tell you, it's amazing in my life. I, for me, there was like this little stretch recently. Just, you know when you can go through phases of life, it just feels like a bit like a cloud on you. You know that feeling? It's like a dark cloud. It's not depression, but it can just be depressing. Right? We go through these phases and maybe hope deferred makes the heart sick. Maybe it's, where, you know, you're holding out on something. Maybe it's just blah. We're human. It happens. 
But thankfulness is where we start. Because thankfulness makes us more aware of what he's done than what he's not doing. It is an act of humility. You know, if, if one of my kids came to me and said, give me yogurt. Our second daughter does that. She never gets yogurt when she says that. <laughs> give me yogurt. What? Let's, let's start this differently. Who's in control here? <laughs> okay. Then, okay. Can I please have yogurt? Yes. Yes, Mika, you can. You monster. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you know, and then I bring her yogurt. And then it sits there and she goes, huh. Mika, what do we say? What's just happened? You've just been served, right? You've just been given something? Yes. Thank you, Daddy. Okay. Good. Thankfulness. What is it teaching her? It teaches her that when she asks, she will receive. But the important thing is that she's thankful when she receives. Why? Because we're not entitled as believers. Can't be entitled, right? Thankfulness reveals to ourselves that we're not entitled, but we're thankful. We're children expecting a gift from our Father. What about anxiety? We are in the age of anxiety. I, I experienced anxiety in this last couple of weeks. Preparing this, I experienced tremendous anxiety. Told my wife that. So I don't understand what it is. I don't even know what, what it is that I'm thinking about when I'm experiencing anxiety. I just feel it. And then it was earlier this week when I was preparing, praying, that I felt God just break it. And it was just like instant, instant cloud gone. So what is anxiety? I'm going to read something from a, from a modern article about what anxiety is. Because I think it's important for us. The Bible says, cast your anxiety in him because he cares for you, right? So the Bible takes this word anxiety kind of like as a root. And the world has discovered this root and figured out all the different leaves that grow out of it, right? And so what happens is in the culture we live in, Anxiety is treated as something that we have to manage. But the Bible tells us that it's something that we can throw. So listen to this. Anxiety is the body's response to worry and fear. And there is a wide range of how deeply anxiety affects people and to what extent it interferes with their quality of life. For many people with anxiety, their condition affects their ability to function in everyday life. Who has been here? Who has experienced anxiousness, anxiety? I think it's weird if you haven't. <laughs> it's normal to go through this. For many people with anxiety, their condition affects their ability to function in everyday life. For those with generalized anxiety disorder, symptoms can include restlessness, feeling on edge, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, and muscle tension. I'll ask again, who has experienced these things? <laughs> Many anxiety orders cause people to experience panic attacks, which are periods of intense fear triggered by an object or situation that can reach their peak within minutes. I'm going to take it a step further. 
I read several studies on this, and they all concluded this simple thing. Avoidance of the triggers of anxiety is common ground for all anxiety disorders. You know what I was thinking? Thank God Paul didn't live by this. <laughs> Think about it. Thank God that Jesus didn't live like this. Avoiding all the triggers of anxiety is the common ground for all anxiety. Can you imagine if Paul said, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm in a prison, I'm done. Guys, don't preach the gospel because it gets you wound up where I am. But from that prison, from that place of anxiety, what does he say? Cast your anxiety on him. Be anxious for nothing. So here's three categories of anxiety. Generalized anxiety disorder is the most common for people. So feelings, uh, feeling restless or on edge, feeling fatigued often, difficulty focusing, irritability, excessive feelings of worry that are difficult to control, and difficulty with sleeping. Panic disorder. Panic disorders are characterized by unexpected and repeated panic attacks. People with panic attacks, may, panic attacks may try to avoid situations or constantly worry about when the next panic attack may happen. Symptoms of a panic attack include heart palpitations or increased heart rate, sweating or chills, shaking or trembling, shortness of breath, sense of terror, feeling a loss of control. Two more. Obsessive compulsive disorder. OCD. Come on. We've made this a buzzword. We've, we've made it okay. It's a disorder where individuals have reoccurring unwanted thoughts or ideas or sensations, obsessions, or the urge to do something repetitively. Some people have obsessions and compulsions. Examples of OCD include checking objects repeatedly to reduce the fear of harming oneself. These things may include objects such as locks, ovens, lights, repeating a name, a phrase, or a behavior because the individual fears something bad will happen if they are not completed. Clearing, uh, cleaning compulsions may happen because there is a fear of contamination from things like dirt and germs. Ordering and arranging things in a symmetrical way or a certain order to reduce discomfort. Intrusive thoughts or impulses may frequently reoccur causing feelings of anxiety. We're like, it's like we're all slowly feeling like, okay, 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 we're part of this group. We're part of that group. We're part of this. It's happened. Post-traumatic stress disorder. This is the last one. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, happens when a person has difficulty recovering after a traumatic event. I think this is what Paul was probably talking about, <laughs> right? When he was in prison, after he'd been stoned. Do you think Paul had PTSD after getting stoned? Post-traumatic stoning disorder? <laughs> Just thought of that as cheesy dad joke. Unwanted and recurrent distressing memories or flashbacks of the event. Nightmares about the event. Avoidance of things related to the event. People, places, or situations. Hopelessness about the future. Who here has experienced anxiety? I'll tell you why it's important. Because me as a man would not instinctively think that I struggle with worry and fear. Just being honest with you. 
I could see it happen in my kids or my wife that, you know, like I could see moments of fear, but I wouldn't really feel like fear is something that I go, oh yeah, I have fear. But what's important for us is that anxiety helps us pinpoint fear and worry. Because while I might not resonate with fear and worry, I can actually resonate with anxiety. And that exposes that even though I may not think I struggle with fear and worry, the Bible tells me that I do. And I need help. And for me, fear and worry doesn't come so much in my day-to-day. It more comes in the bigger areas of life. But Jesus told us, didn't he say, don't worry about this, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, somewhere in there, right? Who of you by worrying can, dot, 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 read the passage. John 16 says this, the time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, anxiety creeps up on us. Creeps up on us. All of a sudden, you have heart palpitations. You have all these things. And eventually, if we don't deal with anxiety, we, we can actually live in permanent anxiety and not have any idea what the root cause is. But you know what's refreshing to me? I'm so glad that the Bible doesn't say, oh, if you have PTSD then this is what you do. And if you're OCD, then this is what you do. No, what does it do? The Bible deals with the father issue. The father issue is simply anxiety. And what does the Bible say? Cast your anxiety on me because I care for you. Be anxious for nothing. You know, we, we so often don't realize that God is inviting us into this transaction. He says what? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Okay, so that's something that's on me. That's on you and I as believers to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Okay, those two things that are on me. Right? And then it says what? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All of these steps are on you and I as the believer. But how often in the moment of turmoil do we just let this slip away from us? Do we think that the answer is not rejoicing, not thankfulness, not all these things? God, I just need your help now. God, just give me your peace. And he's saying, yes, I will give you my peace, but there's a transaction that needs to take place. There's some very simple things that you can do to position yourself to receive my peace. If we pray for his peace without rejoicing in the Lord, without choosing to not be anxious, instead casting those burdens on him. If we choose to just try and chase his peace without those things, it's like asking God to come through a closed door. And God is saying to us, I am inviting you into a life of joy. And yes, you don't have to live in fear and you don't. Being the truest version of yourself is not just living by your feelings. You can obey your way into joy. And it's time that the North American church, you and I, get on board with what Christ is saying to us is that we can obey our way into joy. I was thinking this morning that Jesus said, if you don't praise, even the rocks will cry out. Can you imagine 
if you saw a mouth on a rock. But God says he would do that if we don't open the mouths he gave us. Rejoicing is about opening our mouths. Christ is not interested in a stoic Christianity. He's interested in raising up believers who are alive with him. It's not about being frantic and frenzying and loud. It's not about that. But it's expressing our love in reverent worship to him. With our entire bodies. Bringing everything into submission to him. If we refuse to use our bodies to worship him, let me tell you, your Lord is your body. Not the Lord. That's hard to hear, but it's true. If your feelings determine your life, your body is your Lord. What he's telling us is don't use anxiety to determine your future. Don't do it. Don't avoid all the things because it just is too much. No, bring it to me. So much of what you've gone through in your life, God is going to use for your testimony to reach people in similar situations. If you use anxiety to avoid those situations, you won't walk into what God has for us. Have we thought about it? It's so easy in fear. And I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. That was my old life. And there's a time for that. There's a time for healthy, you know, becoming healthy and all these things. But God will always send us where he brought us in a sense. Why? Because he's worked out something in you through his power, through his love, through his grace. Why? To make you a voice for his name. The passage goes on to say this. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. When we participate in his process, we receive his peace. When I allow him to be Lord of my spirit, my soul, my body, when I surrender those feelings, when I surrender those, those apprehensions, and I choose to do things his way, that swings the door of my heart wide open. And the Bible tells me that when I open the door of my heart, I discover that he has already opened the door of his heart. And I cannot round up enough buckets to contain all the good things that he has for me. That is in the message, not in the King James. <laughs> it's like, where does it say that? And it ends in verse 8 with this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So you ready? Andy will be so proud. Nathan will be so proud. Paul will be so proud. List, guys. I'll give you a list. Four things. Three R's, one God. First thing is, rejoice our way into a joyful heart. That's something that we can do. I was thinking this morning too in prayer. When God told Abraham that he was going to make him into a great nation, 
That was an amazing moment in time. But then something else happens. He says, go to the land I will show you. We have to take a step. We don't have to have the whole picture. We have to just take a step. We can cultivate a joyful heart by taking a step of choosing to rejoice God. So one, rejoice our way into a joyful heart. Two, remember the Lord is at hand. He's coming and he's everywhere. Take it however you want to take it. Remember the Lord is at hand and that will hold us accountable to reasonableness. Three, start every moment with God in thankfulness. It's the stance by which we throw and cast our anxiety on him. If you're stuck in life, start here. If you're stuck in your personal journey with God, maybe everything in your life is going amazing, but you just know there isn't that tender connection with the Lord. Start here. Thankfulness. Look back on your life. Write it out. Read it. See it. It'll give us eyes for the future. And in turn, what is Christ's promise to us? Peace that doesn't make sense. Amen? Amen.